Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast by Enterprise DNA. This is a podcast which dives into a range of different ideas and tips to empowering a data-led culture within organizations. We want you to develop the analytic mind to create immense value for yourself and your teams. Recording. Hey everybody, welcome. I'm Brian Julius. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Enterprise DNA, and I've got a great roundtable of Enterprise DNA experts here today. We're going to try something a little different. Normally, we we do technical roundtables, but we've been getting a lot of feedback from members and other folks that there, there's a lot of interest in career content, and so folks looking to enter the data analytics career field or to advance their careers. And so we're we're starting to develop some more content related to the more general kind of career path and development space. And so what we wanted to do today was kind of start that off with the discussion of one of the most important aspects of, of that advancement, which is the interview. And so what I've done is compiled the list of um, 10 very common questions that you might encounter in an interview. They're actually taken from real interviews. In some cases, they're questions I've used myself in interviewing analysts. And the, the panelists haven't seen these questions. So they're going to be they're going to be getting them as if they were they were interviewees. Um, we'll talk about kind of individual perspectives on these questions. And then at the end, um, those of us who've been hiring managers responsible for evaluating and hiring hiring analyst candidates may talk about it from that perspective as well. So um, we'll see how far we get on the uh, on the list. But what I was hoping everybody could do briefly is just kind of go around the around the grid and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your journey into how you got into the data analytics space. I, I know for a number of you, it was a, a straight path. And for others, it was a, a more winding road and an interesting story. So you can each kind of just run through that. Jared, why don't you start us off? Yeah, Jared Moore. I've been doing data analytics for probably around, probably a little over 20 years now, mostly on the finance side is my is my background even in, in college background was in finance and then it was in 2017 on a web webinar that I was introduced to this product called Power Buy which I found out later was called Power BI and ever since then have been has been have been using Power BI in in my day-to-day role as a as a data analyst so you know almost almost four years almost five years now so great Greg uh, for me trained as an engineer I worked an engineer for 10 years. I've been involved in software for about 20. Uh, the last 10 or so, I've been a consultant to the Canadian uh, government, uh, federal government, doing database, data warehouse, uh, SQL, SSRS work primarily, I guess. And I started migrating in Power BI about three years ago. Yeah, it's going well. Great. The uh, same? take up is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, I started my journey for studying statistics to 2008. After that, I studied biostatistics as a master's degree in 2013. And now I'm a clinical trial analyst in a biopharmaceutical company and also a Power BI consultant for this company. And I've, I've never imagined that by studying statistics, I will be a Power BI, Power BI analyst or Power BI consultant. And I'm really happy because I really like Power BI because I think that I can apply so many, so many statistical analysis into Power BI, import so many analysis, and it will it will empower or report or, or dashboard. Great. George? I'm George Melt. Uh, I am doing an R Power BI uh, course at the moment, and my journey started about 10 years ago when I got out of school and 
was quickly met with the realization I didn't know how to work with data. And that set me on a journey of improving, helping others improve, and, and really looking at these questions of what makes a good analyst, how do you get into analytics, and so forth. It is a, it's an, an important topic, and it's great to hear that people are asking about it and, and that we can talk about it now. Thanks, Galen. Hi, I'm Galen Holland. I originally got into analytics from a career in science. I, I had a very brief career in science where I was a biologist and quickly found out you couldn't make any money that way. So I moved over analytics. <laughs> and I've been doing that for probably the last 15 years or so. And I, I think it's a great field because, you know, you you can definitely add a lot of value to different businesses. So, uh, and Power BI is a great tool that allows you to leverage a lot of that. Great. Thanks. As I mentioned, I'm Brian Julius. I started out in economics and econometrics, and that kind of led to a broader a broader array of topics that I, I dealt with analytically from a consulting job that I started and then moved into um, for the next 30 years after that into working for the federal government, uh, doing environmental data analysis, and then into management, managing analysts. And then in the last few years, kind of back into the project management of a smaller analytics team. And then finally to Enterprise DNA as their content manager. So Thanks, everybody. Interesting journeys. Why don't we jump right into the into the questions? And I'll start with a, a more general one, which is to talk about your overall process for developing a report or analysis for using a data set you've never seen before. You want to right. jump and grab that one first? Sure. For me, it's uh, what questions do you want to answer? If I don't know the data, I probably don't know the business area at all. So I'll be depending upon the business analyst to hopefully come up with some initial questions that they want answered. And very quickly, we need to, to focus in on those decisions so that we bring in the minimum amount of data. If they are only interested in making a decision on what's been going on in the last year, I don't want to bring in 30 years worth of data to slow everything down. So we'll just bring in one year. What do they actually need to, to use to make the decision and or to answer the question? And that's that's where I focus. Other thoughts, other processes, factors that you take into account? Yeah, certainly the begin with the end in mind is the important part. Uh, Greg covered that pretty well. Also doing a bit of detective work and uh, what is that quote? Trust, but verify, right? When you, when you get data and yeah. you, you have to go back to the source, figure out what were the processes because, uh, you know, data doesn't just grow on trees, right? Like money. Uh, you have to kind of figure out where it came from and it doesn't just show up on your computer. Chances are that somebody probably entered it in at some point or it was scanned in or there was some kind of physical process and uh, we all make mistakes. So going back to, to that part is, is important too, but yes, exactly. So uh, once, once you have that, it's almost like taking stock or, you know, it's like a recipe in a way, right? It's one of those episodes of Chopped where you see what you have and then you kind of, you want to make something, but you see where you are and you have to kind of meet in the middle. And, and there is some, some tug of war going on there, but yeah. So you're kind of beginning with the end in mind, but also seeing what you have at the same time. I was saying, you have something you want to jump in with? Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if I don't know the data, the first thing that I do is search about it. Uh, usually I go to YouTube and try to watch some videos about this uh, and the area. For example, for the challenge number th 13, the Formula One data, I searched YouTube. I saw some videos. And I found some interesting information about the area of the challenge. And uh, then uh, what I do, I usually go to the tables in Excel, usually. 
and try to find some patterns, you know, the relationship between tables, the, uh, the important columns, the most important columns in each table, and try to understand the uh, columns that I want to use them to create the basic and the first measures. And that's why I, uh, uh, that's how I start to create, measure, create reports. It's interesting. I think you may, you mentioned the challenges and the one we've got currently going, uh, challenge 17 with the environmental data is kind of a new type of data to a lot of people. And so I think they're going through much that same process in, you know, yeah, kind of exactly. fig figuring out kind of what the data is, how to work with it, and, you know, kind of getting some background on uh, on the uh, the larger context behind the data. So good good points. Yeah, I like that Hussein brought up uh, visualizing early and often. And, and you know, we, we think of visualizations as maybe something we do at the end or maybe something that is kind of uh, secondary to sizing up the data, but that can quickly tell you what, what's going on. So, you know, don't be afraid to just plot the visualizations, look at those relationships, uh, because that really is going to give you insights maybe a lot quicker than you just trying to scroll through and, and look at things. We can't process numbers often as well as, as charts. So don't be afraid to, to visualize things. Yeah. One additional thing that I would add is, is, is I like to visualize the data as well. So I'll, I'll open up like a blank page in a, in a Power BI report and dump all the data from, from the actual table there. And I can actually visualize it, maybe throw a few slicers out there and see how the data looks when I, when I slice the data. So that, that's another step that I would add in that, in that process because a lot of times, even if you don't are, are not familiar with the data, once you once you see it on the screen, there you can kind of at least with the background that some of us have here on this on this session here that we can kind of tend to see some things that uh, that we might want to use moving forward. Yeah, I agree with that very much. I do that all the time. I keep a, a whole mess of uh, hidden work pages in my uh, PBX files, and I do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing I like to do is kind of make a little tiny mini report because the one thing I don't want to do is like waste my time, if, you know, like you've gone through and like say if you look at averages or you've, you've done some trends and you can send that quickly back to the stakeholder and just see if it's correct. Because, you know, you might go through that whole process of creating a report and then you turn it in and there might be some issues with the data and the whole thing is wrong. So I, I, I usually like to get in there quickly, and I think everybody's kind of mentioned, do some exploratory data analysis, quick visuals, and send them to the stakeholders just as a validation step. Yeah, no, that's that's really, really important because it's uh, often the people that are asking the questions, they also kind of know what the answers might be, mm -hmm. or at least orders of magnitude. So if you can say, for example, what's, uh, they want to see total sales each year, and I said, well, it should be around $400,000 each year. So something around there. So if you come out with $27, you know you're wrong. You got some, uh, something to fix up. Well, and Greg, I want, I want to follow up on that. You actually, you gave kind of perfect entree into, into one of my next questions, which is tell me about a time you or your team were surprised by the results of a project. What, what do you mean by surprised by the results? Like we're, we're way off here or like... Well, I think, I think it's, more, it's more that it, the analysis produced results or conclusions that were very different than what you'd expected. I'd say, I'd say that that happens quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, even, even in my day to day, uh, I, I work typically with the same industry and it's amazing how I go from one company to another and a, they do things completely different, but they're kind of using the same data fields, data points. And it's like, 
how did I get that for these folks? And I mean, is this right or is it wrong? So you almost have to verify what, what you're, you know, going back to what George said there, uh, what I think it was Ronald Reagan that said that trust, but verify. And mm-hmm. uh, I believe that that is uh, that that's, that's where I've been surprised before is like, is it really this bad or is it really this good? And I think that's, that's when I, I kind of question myself is, is when the data looks a whole lot better than what probably should or what I'm, I'm used to seeing. That's that's when it kind of raises question marks in my head. Yeah, I always like to, to tell analysts, you know, when they're trying to put their project together that you want to think as your, of your role as almost like the myth buster. It's even worth watching a couple episodes because it's the idea that, you know, there's something that's just taken for granted by people or maybe there's some urban legend and your role is to actually you know, put that to the test and, and give a result. I mean, knowing that there is going to be a sweet spot between your stakeholders thinking, oh, well, I already knew that versus I don't believe that, right? You, you want to find some place in, in that area and starting at a point where it is, you know, kind of, well, if you can get them to admit that they haven't really examined it and, and you can be that kind of myth buster and, and give them those results that, that are going to be surprising either way. That's a, that's a good angle to be in too. You know, no matter what you give them, they're, they're going to be maybe surprised by it because they haven't tested it for themselves. But at the same time, you know, they do have that frame of reference that it is an important question to begin with. I think that's a really, I think that's a really important point, George, about, you know, kind of, it gets to a data storytelling issue which is not only presenting kind of that counterintuitive conclusion, but leading them to how you got there. Because I think you're right. I think that if you just kind of present that kind of shockingly counterintuitive conclusion, it's sometimes like, well, there must be something wrong with the analysis or the data, you know, but if you can really lead people to that. And there was, there was one I, I had a while back with a client where they were having a problem with a centralized service. And they were saying, you know, the service is just really slow. We're getting, we're getting bad outcomes. It's taking too long to process these things. And I remember really tearing that, tearing that apart into components. And what I found was, was really surprising, which was, you know, we'd all kind of assumed it was the problem was at the centralized service level. And what we found was the problem was actually at the client level. And it was the client managers taking way too long to approve their steps in the process. And so when you when you presented it kind of broken down and you saw where the variance was, it was all at the client level, not at the at the centralized service level. And so, you know, I think had I told them that is is kind of just a blanket conclusion, they would have been like, no, that can't be right. You know, it's it's not a, it's not our fault. But when you when you break it down into components and you show them, here's you know a 20 day lag, here's an average 15 day lag, that that then becomes becomes a much more compelling story. Yeah, I'm laughing because I have that similar experience almost on a daily basis of clients emailing me saying that this is no longer working. Well, I didn't change anything on my end. I mean, it has to be the, the bad data that's being inputted. So if if anything, a lot of my clients are, are learning that uh, you know. When they put in bad data, they're going to get bad results. So it's nothing that's really changed on my end. It's 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 the bad data that's being entered. And for me, it's somehow different when it comes to data storytelling. When I I remember when I created the first page of Power BI report for for this department, they was totally shocked because I. I created I created a measure showing the total export amount, and because they were working with Excel data, Excel tables actually, uh, they didn't uh, expect to see the total amount of exports for, for example, six or seven years, and they they were so surprised. 
And when I told them uh, that they can use the slicers, they can filter the data to see uh, every year results, uh, they found it so interesting. Yeah, you, get, you can get people hooked on slicers really easily. <laughs> Um, okay, so I want to want to move in a little different direction for the next one. That a lot of times when we're talking about data analytics, we're talking about hard skills, technical skills, you know, programming, statistics, Power BI. But what do you think the the soft skills are that are essential for a data analyst, and why? Definitely being able to communicate, and that's going to be you know the most important thing. Being able to tell a story is important. Also being able to break something that's complex down into something, you know, digestible to the whole audience. And even reading the room is important. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, soft skills that you need to learn if you're presenting data or you're doing an analysis. Because usually when you're doing that, there's going to be someone that's maybe into hardcore statistics in the room. And there may be someone that, you know, they don't even know what an average is. So I think, you know, communication is super important. Yeah, very much. I'd agree with that. And being able to identify, uh, sorry, talk at different levels to different stakeholders, groups. Mm -hmm. So you can talk to the business analysts in their in their domain language, and you can talk to the IT people in their domain language. Yeah, and, and peeling it back even further to understand, well, why is data analytics so valuable to begin with? And why is it so prevalent to get into uh, related topics like digital transformation and, and innovation and, and things like that? Just so you, you have a sense of, of, of being, of all this being contextualized. I would also say, start reading something like the Wall Street Journal or read a couple of Michael Lewis books or something like that. You know, get get the business intuition um, because then you're going to be able to go into a different industry and understand what the major drivers are, what's going on in that industry, what the tensions are and things like that. So having that kind of business sixth sense is going to really help you out a lot um, at, when you're a data analyst. That's a great point. So one of the fastest ways to get buy-in too is just to leverage that and say, what are your pain points? Find out uh, when the the analysts or the directors are saying, I really hate it when da 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 then you figure out what data do we need to, to shape an answer to a question that will allow them to alleviate that pain point. Yep. A lot of these skills are probably at times probably even more important than what we do as data analysts or analysts on a on a day-to-day basis. These skills right here, sometimes it's 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 pretty hard to teach those skills. So if somebody has those skills and let's say that they're lacking in maybe some of the other areas, that's definitely somebody that I would be I, I would be definitely interested in moving mm-hmm. forward with. Going back to Galen's point about you know communication. Um Game, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, on your absent data channel, didn't you have one? There's there's one about the top top tools for data analysts, and I may, I may, I may have this wrong, but didn't you have PowerPoint as number one on that one? <laughs> I put PowerPoint as number one. I mean, because that's that's the tool that everyone uses across departments, right? PowerPoint, and a, and a slide is going to let you communicate a lot of information in a very kind of simple way. I mean, dashboards do have their place and, you know, definitely you want people to dig into them and slice the data that you want. But I think for storytelling, I mean, I I still use PowerPoint more than I use anything else. It was funny because when I saw that video, at first I was like, really PowerPoint number one? And then, you know, with all the the powerful tools we've got out there, and then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, you could really make a strong case for that because the best analysis in the world, if not communicated clearly, isn't mm-hmm. worth a damn. Yeah. And, you know, that, that you know, people say, well, the, the analysis speaks for itself. Well, it really doesn't. 
you know, and particularly to, you know, a manager who's really busy and is not going to have the time to click through a million slicers and navigate through pages. And, you know, they, they want to get, they want to get the bottom line. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the more I thought about that, it was, it was challenging when I first saw it, but I thought, you know, I, I actually think I, I think I'm on board with that, with that idea, but it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a challenging video that I'd highly recommend people take a look at. Any other thoughts on that one? I would just agree with that. Seems that by far uh, the most important thing to directors is the PDF export of a report. So no interactivity, no slicers, no nothing. Mm-hmm. You just want the, the PDF export. Yeah, I guess that's a hard lesson to learn, you know, being it is. Analyst. It yeah. is. I mean, really you can spend is. hours and days and days and days designing the most interactive report and the mm-hmm. guys who are using it will not use 1% of what you've designed. And that's the beautiful thing about, uh, what is it, Power BI, when you upload everything to the service, you can start looking at some of the user analytics and you realize you spent 15 hours on a report and maybe people have spent like, three minutes looking at it. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Just exporting that out into the, maybe the view that, you know, um, a stakeholder wants to see it, it usually gets a lot more buy-in at that point. Yeah, great points. Great points. So which step of the data analysis process do you enjoy the most and why? For me, it's the first step because when I don't know a data set, I force myself to search about it. I learn a lot about the area, the uh, whole the process. And it's really interesting for me to understand some, uh, to discover new areas and new fields. And it helps me to, to be interested when, I, uh, when I'm creating the report. And at the end, I think that I earned something, not only by uh, creating the report, but also by finding some information about the area. And it's so interesting for me. Yeah, if this- modeling. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, George. Oh, uh, well, if this is to be answered by someone interviewing for an analyst role, not to be very cynical, but I would say that you want to enjoy the data cleaning and the wrangling and all that, because that's what you're going to be doing. And a lot of people don't know that and they don't sound excited about it. So you want to get to the point where you force yourself to love it. Uh, It may be hard, but you'll get there. And if you can answer that in an interview sincerely, then the, the, the manager is going to see the value in, in what you can do. You know, it's, you know, that's maybe a little self-serving, but it's the truth. So yeah. Whereas I would say if anybody told me the data cleaning was their favorite part, I would immediately know they were lying to me. That's true too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of like that part because it, it it goes hand in hand with the exploration and some of the things that Hussein was was talking about. I don't know if it's my it's it's my favorite part, but it's the part that we do the most. So you better like it to some extent. Other thoughts on favorite parts? Uh, for me, it would be modeling, and by extension, I guess data loading would take into account some of the things that George was mentioning. Uh, but I tend, as a consultant to the government, uh, every time I find a uh, need for any cleaning, I pass it back to the source and hopefully they can clean up their data. And so I can bring it in and do less and less of it in Power BI because uh, if the organization is retreat is storing poor data, uh, they can't make decisions for it in other paradigms uh, other than Power BI. Going back to Hussein's point you know, about kind of the first stage, 
there was a, a famous statistician who was asked kind of why he liked statistics. And he said, because it lets me play in everybody else's backyard. And I, I've always loved that. I've always loved that quote because it really is true that in, in data analytics, you really get the chance in, in many cases to just address data sets and issues and analyses that are way outside the scope of what you thought you'd get involved in. And um, I, I personally find that fascinating, you know, when you get to dig into a not only a new data set, but kind of a whole new business process or a whole new whole new field. And so, you know, I think in terms of the interest in this as a, as a profession, that's that's one of the things I find you know most attractive about it. All right, so I know we've got I know we've got a Power BI crowd here, but I'm going to ask this question this question anyway. Maybe we can talk beyond just Power BI. But what tools or software do you prefer using in various phases of data analysis, and why? For for me, I mean the exploratory data analysis step, like when you're first getting a data set, I tend to just go to Python, just because you can do it very quickly. So. Other tools in Excel, I mean, I use Excel for everything. I mean, if you need to get some quick wins, it's very easy to just open up a spreadsheet and use it. But those are the two I kind of go back and forth with outside of Power BI. I'd say PowerPoint and Excel. Me as well, PowerPoint and Excel. Those are my two go-tos. Yeah, because it involves a whole lot of iteration with the business analysts, and those are tools that they're familiar with. So that's mm -hmm. where you got to, to to live. I'm surprised Greg SQL is not on your list. I would have thought I would have thought I would have heard that one coming from you. I, I love I love SQL, but then again, generally it's when I'm talking to my compatriots or to the IT group, the business analysts. They don't really care about SQL. <laughs> I was saying you had a point you wanted to raise. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as Greg mentioned, I I really like using SQL Server. But it's what um, ID teams usually do with, and um, I really use Excel. And sometimes, if I need something that uh, I can achieve by using M code, M query, I use Power BI. I have a question for the people who responded using PowerPoint for some of the, I believe, earlier parts of the process. Uh, what sorts of tasks are you doing in PowerPoint? Uh, very quickly, um, one of the things that I try and do is is get uh, uh, the business analyst to put together uh, boxes on a PowerPoint slide with the questions uh, that they want to answer and what their thoughts are on what might be the answer. It really helps to, it's very common that people say, well, we want all the data. Well, we, that doesn't help me in anything. I want to know what question you want to answer. You know, put four boxes on a slide on a PowerPoint, ask one question per, per box. And they say, holy geez, now I got to think, well, we're going to actually need two slides or three or four or five. I got lots of questions I want to answer. And I go, that's great. That's terrific. And at least with uh, PowerPoint, it's different than Power BI. You're not getting stuck in the, the idiosyncrasies of the data or the characteristics of the data. You're focusing on the questions. So that's one really good use I see for it. I think, Greg, to that point, you know, one of the things that I found was that Managers in particular get very conditioned by Excel in terms of kind of what analysis looks like and also what it can and can't do. And so when I would ask them questions about what, what do you want this analysis to do, what I found was they were constrained by thinking about it through Excel. And so they would they would hold back from asking questions that they knew would be difficult or impossible to answer in Excel. And so what I what I started doing is saying instead of you know kind of at a practical level saying if you had a, a magic eight ball and you could ask it any question about your data you wanted to without regard to 
whether or not it was feasible to do that analysis. What would you ask? What would you want to know? And that kind of helped get them out of the space of thinking about it in the constraint of what they thought was possible. Because just with the tools we've got now with Power BI and Python and R and you know all the things you can integrate together, I think there's so many more things we can do than were possible in just just Excel. And so, you know, kind of helping get them out of that mindset, I found to be something that was that was quite useful. And rarely did I ever get a question in that dialogue where I thought, oh, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer that. You know, even the ones they thought were not feasible, it was like, no, that's not a problem. We can do that. I, th- I got a point to that. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, in my work, I often get like, oh, let's build a model to predict something. And often a lot of times you can answer stuff just with like really simple statistics. So I'm almost on the other end of that, trying to, you know, kind of persuade people to move away from that, that kind of really super detailed, you know, data science buzzword things to just looking down at just how can we answer these questions as simply as possible. So yeah, I, I struggle with that, at least in my field. And I wasn't necessarily saying jump to the complex, but it was mm-hmm. like, don't be constrained off the bat by what you think, what would you think might be feasible or not? Ah, okay. Although I do have the tendency to overcomplicate things. <laughs> Hey, I'm with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing I wanted to, there was an interesting question I came across. It said, why do you think creativity is important for a data analyst? And I know George actually had a, a poll question recently on LinkedIn. Is Do you consider yourself creative or not? I There were quite a few who said no. I don't remember the exact split. But for me, it's that ability to match up incongruent points, knowing where to go next. I remember times where I was doing a study of, of cleaning times at, at a hospital. And I got to the point where I was looking at blueprints that, that engineering had sent me to figure out, you know, the time minutes per cleaning time. And I mean, like who the heck would think to look at blueprints for a data analysis project, but here I was doing it. So, so that kind of uh, undaunted drive, I think kind of comes with creativity that you're, you're really confident in, in your abilities and you can't, you can't necessarily play play it safe. You know, you, you have to, you know, you still have to verify what you're doing. But what I mean by that is that you have to kind of drive, push yourself to, to the data that you use. And I think creativity comes when you are confident in your abilities and your ability to to answer those questions. Great point. I, um, I totally agree with George. And I think that creativity is so important because it can help the users the ones who want to use your report to uh, not to spend much time to use it, you know, to understand it so easily. And if you put, for example, all the information in one page or create some advanced visualizations for those that uh, they don't need to use them or uh, put some uh, visuals that are not uh, related to each other or something like that, it made it made hard for them to understand the report. And creativity is uh, one of the things that really uh, helps you to to give them what they want, what they really want. Yeah, I think creativity comes with confidence, just to kind of reiterate what George said there. I think that uh, we may think we are or are not creative, but uh, I think with uh, with your experience and your, and your confidence level and what you're doing will uh, be a, a good measuring stick of how creative you are and what we do, because uh, we have to, we have to think outside of the, uh, of the box a lot of times mm-hmm. in order to get to where we need to go. And, and I know 
one question I always ask every client. And now I, I typically work in the same industry, but I ask every client is what are you trying to get out of your data that you're not getting right now? Almost kind of like what you said earlier there, Brian, is like, you know, what are you, you know, what are your pain points? Or I think it was Greg that said that, or what are your pain points and and, and how can we you know get there? Don't worry about Excel or, or how you're seeing the data right now. Tell me, you know, what is it that you're not getting out of your data right now that you want me to provide for you? I would just add on the creativity front too, just uh, throw to add to what Hussein said, um, simplify. The question that's being asked might be very complicated, but chances are there's a simple, a simpler question and a simpler answer that can be given. So again, instead of having uh, 5,000 visuals on your report page, you might only need three to answer the question that they want. And if so, if it answers the question, that's totally sufficient. You don't need the, the thousand visuals. And I think George's point is one that really resonated with me about, you know, kind of the drive to look beyond just the information you're given. And we get this question a lot in challenges, which is, is it okay to bring in additional information? And I always say, not only is it okay, but it's it's almost mandatory in some cases, because to answer the questions you really want to answer, the most important questions, you shouldn't just be limited by the data you're given. And many times it's going to require kind of creatively going out and seeking more information. And so, you know, the creativity to recognize when that's needed and where to go for that data. And sometimes is, is you know, George's example is a great one that, you know, it's not obvious places you look for that. It's, you know, blueprints or you know, historical records or, you know, all sorts of different, you know, different places where that, that supporting data can come from. Any other thoughts on that one? All right. So I, I think we'll wrap on, on, I think a good, um, a good closing question, which is talk about a time when your analysis made a real difference in the outcome for your client. Play the Jeopardy music here. <laughs> Well, to to go back to um, a consulting assignment I had, I'm guessing about seven years ago now, uh, we did produce, it was before Power BI was around, so it was using SSRS ports, but there was a branch of the Canadian government that was responsible for managing all of the people around the world that wanted to come to Canada, they called the Global Case Management System, and they upgraded that piece of software every two weeks to handle the myriad, like thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of different business rules, apply to different people, different countries, different whatever. Um, so we produced a set of a hundred different policing reports that showed how people around the world were using the tool differently. Uh, so you couldn't compare uh, one country to another or one demographic to another or whatever. And they were able to take that information and streamline their processes such that people were actually treating the sort of the case officers were actually treating information the same way in different parts of the world. So it cleaned up the data a whole bunch and made it something that you could actually draw statistics from rather than it being a whole bunch of separate buckets. It's a good one. Maybe one for me is I have to bring in Power BI's mortal enemy, which is Tableau. But um, <laughs> I, I worked for a, a, a large um, hotel booking client where we we had analysts all around the world, especially in Southeast Asia. All these analysts, they would run marketing campaigns and everybody had their own set of knowledge, how to execute a campaign, how to run it, what were the trends. And, you know, we, we would, you know, we would have big meetings and we would take all that at face value. But, you know, once once we got to a point where we could bring all that data into a centralized tool and create like trends and, and you know, statistical analysis, it told a completely different story. And, uh, 
and everybody had access to this kind of one version of the truth. And then we would, the, the whole team could go and optimize their campaigns just based on this, this one tool. And everybody was kind of speaking the same language at that, at that point. So I found that as like a really big win because if we didn't have that kind of one version of the truth, everybody would have their own kind of specific way of doing things. So we got a lot of efficiencies out of that. That's a great way to put it. I like that one one version of the truth. I don't want to put Hussein on the spot here, but I know in the work he's doing with, you know, clinical trials and everything, you know, I'm sure that there are some, you know, some really major outcomes that that come out of that. So I wonder if there are any, you know, kind of specific stories you can you can talk about in that regard. Yeah, in uh clinical trials, you may always see something, <laughs> these are things that may surprise you because when you are running a clinical trial, you are, for example, comparing two type uh, two uh, two drugs one uh, drug for your company with another uh, drug uh, that is submitted before and uh, always uh, maybe always the result is surprising and also by running descriptive statistics and exploratory uh, analysis you will find some information that may be uh, new for you and you didn't know about these data and sometimes it helps you to have a better understanding of uh, your product your drug that you're uh, producing and it may helps you to uh, have a better idea for the next uh, clinical trial for the next drug for example or uh, you can either use um, that information to, for example, run another clinical trial if your uh, results are not what you uh, what you expect. Very interesting. So I, I actually I, I said I was going to wrap on that question, but I, there's there's one more I have that actually um, I want to hear want to hear what people think on that, which is moderator's um, prerogative. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking. We still got <laughs> we still got eight minutes. So how do you plan to improve yourself professionally in this coming year? I definitely want to get better at presenting. Uh, that's something I really want to focus on. I'm, I'm in Singapore now and, you know, you, you walk into a room and, you know, you have like people who, who speak four or five different languages. So English may not even be their first language. So definitely want to get better at presenting and, and, and I think really simplifying things. So that's probably going to be my focus this year. And what, what, what are the, what are the steps you're going to take to kind of improve presentation skills? That's a good question. All right. Well, here's one, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> No, definitely. I have been looking at different, like now you have COVID. I thought about, you know, maybe joining different like clubs where you're presenting things. Like, well, like, what is it? Uh, Toastmasters, Toastmasters or something like that. It's very difficult to do with COVID, but just, I, you know, I'm just communicating with different people on different topics. Like I'm in a book club now and, be, and, and talking to people about books. I find that helps me get a little bit better at kind of explaining things and, 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 and reading the room in a sense. So that's probably where I'm going to put my focus right now. Yeah, I would say whatever it is, and especially for, for people coming into the field, don't be afraid wherever you are to, to share what you know and, and not let imposter syndrome kind of get in the way. And I think that being with enterprise DNA, is great with that because of the forums and the challenges. And there's so many opportunities to really be active in, in what you're learning. You know, for me, I'm, I'm trying to learn a bit more about Azure and fitting Python into various uh, Microsoft BI projects, because those are kind of two stacks of knowledge that I know somewhat that I'm trying to bring together. So things like that, where you can, where you see little grains of knowledge or interest that you have being able to connect those dots, because that's another 
another thing with, with analytics, there's so much of a convergence of, uh, you know, like we were talking about using Python with Power BI or using Excel with Python or whatever. So, you know, those kinds of projects are, are great too, but being able to express your, your knowledge and that goes into communication, just not being afraid wherever you are, you've got something to contribute. None of us here knows everything about Power BI or analytics or anything. We're always getting stuck. I mean, every day there's something I have to look up. So awesome. if you can, yeah, if you can develop those skills to get unblocked and have the community that, you know, when you need help that, you know, you know, who to turn to and who to ask those questions, then, and then that's a skill in itself too. Absolutely. Yeah. I use Google a hundred times a day. Easily. It would be impossible yeah. to, to work without it. For, sure. uh, for me, for learning, uh, Vega Light and Deneb are the two that are interesting to me right now. So I'm looking forward to that reaching a 1.0 release, hopefully later this year. Yeah, that one's that one's definitely on my learning list for the coming year too. And you're, you're talking about Google. It's funny. It's, it's, it's a meme you see all the time that the, the data analyst keyboard is just three keys. It's stack overflow shortcut, copy and paste. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think you know there there is there is a lot of truth to that, just in, in the sense that you just can't hold all this information in your head, and that you know going out to community and out to the internet and knowing where to look and having those resources, you know, it, just among this expert team, I mean, there's probably at least once a day that I'm you know posting something to the team saying, you know, has anybody come across this situation or how do you handle this? And you know, it's gotten to the point now where you know Power BI and analytics in general is just so powerful and so multi faceted that no one person can learn even a fraction of what there is to know. Yeah, that's that's one big thing that I've got um, since I've been a part of Enterprise DNA is just being a part of this, not only the community, but now the experts group. Um, I have a wealth of information of, of, of people to talk to. And uh, what I typically do at, at my company, what I do this, I'm the only one who knows how to do this. So a lot of times I don't have anybody to kind of fire off questions or thoughts about. And I know I hit you up quite a few times, Brian, or, you know, a lot of other people in the, in the, uh, the experts groups numerous times throughout the week, just to kind of, to, to maybe see how you would tackle an issue or, you know, how you would handle something. And so I, I, I know that that's, that's helped me grow to where I'm at right now. And that's something that I would encourage others to, especially if you're not around people that are doing what you're doing a lot, become part of a community, whether it's the enterprise DNA community, some kind of community and, and, and get yourself a buddy or buddies to, to share information back and forth with, because that's, what's going to help you grow more, yeah. than more so than a book or any kind of video that's out there. You, you need that interaction with another person. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think back to the challenges and, you know, the, the best work I've ever done and the most I've ever learned was in the challenges that we did together as a team, you know, mm -hmm. just learning from, you know, three other people who are, you know, great at what they do and, you know, who've got different ideas different processes. That was, that was just an amazing learning experience. And I would really commend that to anybody to, uh, you know, to give that a try. Exactly. Yeah, it also you keeps you from jumping down the rabbit hole and losing two or three days on an idea that might not be useful when someone else says, well, what are you new? Of course, we're not going to do that. I jumped down those rabbit holes, even with the team. Hussain, you had a point you wanted to raise? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And um, uh, what I want to focus on to, uh, this year is uh, learning inquiry by uh, 
Melissa Widows in Enterprise DNA. And uh, also I want to focus on uh, R graphs and R charts and how can I import them to Power BI to look perfect and how uh, I can use, for example, a statistical analysis, uh, not so advanced, but uh, with the level that I can import it to Power BI. Great. Or we're coming to the end here. I just want to close with, you know, some thoughts from the hiring manager side of things. And I'll, I'll start off. I, I've spent about 20 years as a hiring manager and hired dozens of people, probably seen, you know, thousands of resumes, done probably hundreds of interviews. And I think technical skills are really important and the specific skills you have you're in your toolbox are, are critical. But I would almost say in an interview process to really sell the broader skill set, you know, that, that the particular tools you've got at hand today may not be the tools that are needed tomorrow. And that really what I've always looked for, kind of the, the analogy I've always used is a sports analogy, which is that I always try to draft the best athlete available, not the drafting for position in terms of not looking for a specific technical skill set, but looking for people who can learn, you know, kind of have that thirst to learn, um, are adaptable, are creative, you know, work well together as a team, you know, have kind of a strong analytical foundation, but not necessarily tied to one particular program or skill set. Um, you know, I think the the broader you can express your, your capabilities, I think the better off you're going to be in an interview setting, because as I say, you know, programs come and go. But those, you know, those foundational skills are, are something that are in demand forever. Galem, I know you've you've done a lot of hiring. Do you have some thoughts mm -hmm. on that? No, yeah, definitely. I, I I agree with you 100. I think if you if someone's able, because you can be tool agnostic. I mean, like you said, tools come and go. There are always going to be better tools that come in the future. But um, I think on top of what you said, maybe just having a you know a strong handle on the foundations, like, you know, just a statistical understanding and being able to sell yourself and also being able to storytell. I, mm -hmm. I think I would hire someone, you know, that didn't maybe have a, a strong, you know, um, kind of handle on a tool if they were able to kind of just, you know, explain something in a, in a very convincing and, and um, thorough way. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things we used to do is have people come in and present, just present a project you've done in 20 minutes on any topic, any any type mm. of project or topic you want. And, you know, it doesn't have to be anything even related to what we do. And in some sense, it's even better if it's not because, you know, somebody who can take and explain, you know, something about, you know, the electric power grid or, you know, about, you know, some sort of, you know, chemical bioassay, you know, that that is is useful in terms of you know if you can break that down and communicate that to an audience that knows nothing about that topic that's a really valuable skill mm -hmm. so any any final thoughts before we close today well i want to thank everybody for your time this has been great i hope that uh for those watching and those who are looking at a data analyst career or looking to advance your career that this has been some good food for thought for you um definitely look forward to your your comments and feedback love to gather this panel or another panel similar and do uh do some other uh, roundtables kind of along these same lines. So uh, again, thanks. Thanks to everybody. Those who got up early, those who are staying up late, really appreciate your time and your thoughts and enjoyed it. So until next time, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Brian. Thank thanks. you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in everyone. It's great to be connected and I hope you are enjoying the content we're creating through the Analytic Mind podcast. 
If you enjoyed this session, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of each episode as we release them. If you want to learn more about Enterprise DNA and the many initiatives we're working on, check out www.enterprisedna.co. There we have a range of resources to download, events to attend, and information to explore. We're leading the charge around this new paradigm we're living in, where tools like Power BI can literally change how an organization manages, analyzes, and distributes insights that can make an impact. It's an exciting moment in the analytics space. So glad that you're on this journey with us. Take care.